We are so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive after betrayal, trauma, or addiction. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. Now, why am I an expert? Because I've treated betrayal, trauma, and addiction for over a decade. I want to invite you guys over to our premium site where you get in-depth content and access to us. We answer questions there for you and you get interaction with like-minded people. To find that site, go ahead and click details and scroll to the bottom, you'll see the link to our Patreon site. Hey guys. All right, I'm going to start us off with a fan shout out over on iTunes with the podcast and it's from Lifesaver. She says, or he, I don't know, this podcast has been a lifesaver in my current time. I made discovery about a month ago. My partner and I are in a process of a therapeutic separation, moving towards a full disclosure. I have no idea if we will survive. This podcast is giving me so many tools in case I decide to stay. But even if I don't stay, I am gaining tools for my ongoing wellness and recovery. Really, truly so grateful. Thank you. I love this. I love mm-hmm. that who this girl or boy, whoever it is, is saying, no matter what, I'm here and I'm mm-hmm. finding help. And that's the point. I have, a cu- I have a cousin who listens and she doesn't have betrayal trauma or sex addiction in her marriage. And she was just saying like, I love listening to your podcast anyways. It's still so good for our marriage. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. we're basically saying, don't do all the things we've done, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> we'll tell you what not to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so this episode today is actually designed to share it with family members. And um, we're going to give some guidance to loved ones about just just how to, how to handle um, this situation, how to give support, how to be there for... Uh, you know, people who are struggling with betrayal, trauma, and sex addiction. And we hear a lot of stories about how family members are really kind of detrimental to recovery and become problematic. And so we're going to outline for you what sex addiction and betrayal trauma are, so you know that. <clears throat> and Ashley and Kobe are going to share a little bit of their story so you can gain a better understanding of, of what it is. And then we're going to give you a specific pointers and things that you can really do to to be a good support so do you guys want to start with just describing your story and right i think this is good context so that way for those of you who are listening for the first time and may not have you know seen or heard any other episode you'll know who these people are so my name is kobe i'm married to ashlyn say hi hi (laughs) we've been married 18 and a half years Mm -hmm. and we've got two girls eight and ten and I, st- I was first exposed to porn when I was seven and really was in just an addictive mind frame and addictive behavioral pattern with porn and masturbation um, for 31 years. And there are varying levels of, of consumption of porn, but um, that led to um, an emotional affair in 2006 and a second affair in, in uh, 2013. And then finally in 2014, I realized I have got to change this because I'd cross line. I didn't think that I was going to again. So we found specialized therapy and started a journey together. And I knew that Ashlyn, you had a lot of betrayal trauma. I didn't know it right. was called that, but. I, I just love how simple you're making it sound when really it was a giant mess. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's because we talk about it all the time, right? So here's our story in a nutshell. But for 14 years of our marriage, mm-hmm. it was the topic that if 
talked about was a giant fight. Um, we didn't share it with family. We didn't share it with friends. We shared it with a few uh, ecclesiastical leaders who didn't, you know, have a ton of knowledge to help us. Um, so we were very uneducated, very isolated from our own doing. And when I started to see, um, and it actually came from a friend who shared on Facebook her own story, I realized I wasn't alone. And that there was this whole network of people who are, one, helping, and two, giving support, like support groups, right? I didn't know sex addiction was a thing. I knew that my husband struggled with porn. Uh, I knew that we felt disconnected. I didn't understand um, boundaries, any of those things. And so when we found help four years ago, um, depending on when you're listening to this, in 2000, what? 14. (laughs) 14. Mm -hmm. uh, That's when life changed for us. And it's been a long road that we continue on. Recovery is not like a, okay, we made it. It's this mountain we've climbed and now we're done and now we are healed and we can just do everything it really is this ongoing process of becoming the best version of us and uh, we've really enjoyed it and have gone from telling no one and being super ashamed to being in a place where we wanted to share so we could help other people yeah so that's why we have this podcast now we've teamed up with uh, brennan who is the expert He's a certified sex addiction therapist. And um, so the idea with this podcast is that we can share three different perspectives on various topics related to addiction. And our hope today is that um, for those of you who are friends or family members, loved ones of someone who either struggles with addiction or struggles with betrayal trauma, is that you'll be able to understand through our own experiences what your what your loved one or your friend um, has been experiencing to some degree. There's, you know, we can't hit all variations of addiction and betrayal trauma and all degrees, but we can represent at least from a general level what this looks like. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think I'll give a, a little bit about me too. Um, so why am, I an, why am I an expert? Um, <clears throat> I, so I've been trained as a certified sex addiction therapist and the training was good, but really why I'm an expert is I've been treating addiction ever since I've been a therapist. It's been my thing. Um, and I've specifically been treating betrayal trauma and sex addiction for like eight years now. And, um, and I've done hours and hours of groups, individual therapy. Um, I've just, that, it's what I do. Retreats? What I, retreats. Uh, it's what I specialize in. So I, I do know it inside and out and, um, and I know how to treat it. And so, yeah. So between the three of us, I think we have a good perspective of what works and what doesn't. Uh, we understand recovery. We understand what undermines recovery. And so for, for you, the loved ones, we just want to share a little bit of that with you so that you can, you can support um, your family members who are struggling. So, so let's start by just, just breaking down things that, that are helpful and, and then, then talk about things that, that aren't and pitfalls that family members get caught up in. Um, so from your guys' experience, maybe maybe share a little bit of your story about that or what was helpful for you, what hasn't been helpful for you. Well, uh, when I, again, we said nothing to our family when we were in the thick of things. I just felt like something was wrong with me. So why would I share this thing that everyone would judge me for? Which, which is, is probably the most common thing is yeah. you're, you, you might know that your family member struggling with something, but they're just not opening up about it and they're isolating in it. 
And, um, and so it's pretty awesome that you do know. I don't know how you found out, um, but you do know now. And so, but, but that's the first thing, Ashlyn, what you said is, is to just shut up because it's a private thing, especially sex addiction, yeah. right? And uh, you try to work it out in, in your own marriage. Yeah. Right? Um, with the betrayal, especially, I think I felt a lot of embarrassment because he wanted other people and he mm-hmm. didn't want me. And so I didn't want to tell people that because I knew they would judge me. Um, things like, because I didn't tell my family, there was reasons I didn't tell. Those were some of them, but also hearing things like, oh, if my husband ever cheated, I'd be out. If my husband ever looked at porn, I'd leave him. So if your sister or somebody said that, you're not going to sit her down and say, hey, I want to tell you <laughs> that I have this betrayal trauma thing right. going on, right? Because you know they're going to be like, well, you should leave him. Yeah. Or we hate your husband or you're, we hate your wife. Are you weak? Are you crazy? Are you stupid? Yeah. Right? And so I just, when I would hear those things from friends or family, I get it. I used to th- say the same thing. I always thought if my husband cheated, I'd be out. Right. And it's just not so black and white. Right. It's not. So, so I, I think one of the first things to, to, to really look at as a family member is to you know, understand that um, it's it's in context. And your family member, they have their own life experiences and they're doing what they're doing because of that. And you can judge them. You can should on them, you know, tell them what they should and shouldn't do. Um, or you can take a step back and say, okay, hang on. Why are they acting this way? How come they are, how come Ashlyn is staying? You know, instead of just, well, she should leave him because he did that, right? Okay, where's Ashlyn at? Why is she staying? It's not always so black and white. So, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to just put myself into the shoes of the people who are listening. And, and again, there might be people who are listening to this because their son or their daughter who is single struggles. It might be because they have um, a son or a daughter who is married um, and has a partner who is either the betrayed or the addicted. And I think contextually, one of the things that I want to describe is um, where we were, where, what my experience was uh, in my family of origin, so that so that it can be very clear as to why this has been such a hard thing to share. Okay, so in my family, um, we didn't talk hard things. In my family, that just wasn't a skill set that was that was modeled and and discussed and talked about. And that's without any judgment. So if you're also in that family that like talks weather and talks like, you know, vacations and trips and so forth, but doesn't necessarily talk about hard things, this isn't a matter of like passing judgment on you, but it's simply just describing because in my family, we didn't talk about hard things. That meant that there, um, I didn't possess the skill set to say, hey, um, I'm in kind of over my head with my parents, for example, or um, I think I might've gotten into something that, that has, that, that might, not be in alignment with where I actually want to be. And because that, that relationship didn't exist for various reasons, my mom had, I mean, I was the second of seven kids. My mom kept kids with special needs. She was just emotionally unavailable, right? There just wasn't enough time and attention to be able to spend to say, let's, let's create a relationship that um, can be conducive for talking about hard things. So if that's, if that's your situation, it is what it is. And we're not judging that. And we're also not going to keep like the, the hope is, is that from, from our perspective, we hope that that's not because that's the cultural norm in your family. We hope that going forward, 
you can't say, although that's where it was, we can change things going forward and we can actually talk about hard things. And if you can keep this perspective in mind that any acting out that your child or friend or sister or sibling has, uh, has perpetrated is simply because they just don't understand how to, they, they've essentially hijacked in their head and they don't understand and haven't thought through what, what their actions really mean, probably from a really young age. So if I'm seven years old, which I was, and I was exposed to, to porn early, um, I never told my parents because it's like, I don't want them to understand this. I, I, I knew that I had shame and what I was doing was wrong, but there also wasn't the place to be able to talk well, about hard so, things. So I, uh, what I hear you saying, Kobe, and this is really important, I think, for family members to understand is if you, if you wanna be a supportive uh, person to them, uh, you gotta start with the foundation of a healthy relationship which is built on safety and trust. So if, if, if you've sent the message out that, hey, we avoid hard topics, we don't, we don't talk about hard things, how safe are you gonna be for them to talk openly with you, right? Um, and so, so work on that trust and that safety before you go to them and you say, hey, I wanna talk about your hardest things because I heard this podcast that says that we're supposed to like start talking about hard things. Well, get to know them on a level uh, where, where you know who they are. You're their friend. You're their support. And then you can start to have those hard conversations. That's really good. Stop avoiding the hard. Um, open up yourself. Talk about hard things in your life. And it, you're, then all of a sudden you're a much safer person for them to open up to. Absolutely. Right? I think some of the best things for me when connecting with someone in a real way is when they're saying me too in yeah. some way or they're showing empathy and the not just saying like, is two ways. Oh, my life is so good. Like, I can't believe your husband would do that. <laughs> you right. know, those are awesome conversations. Cause I'm like, we're done. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> which, which leads to it's, it's, it's easy to, to be the fixer where, they come and they say, look, we're struggling. We're struggling with sex addiction. We're struggling, you know, I'm struggling in my marriage. And it's easy to be like, well, I'm awesome. I'm good. So I'm going to tell you how you can be good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it all for you. Yeah. And that's not connection. They, they need connection right where they're at. They need you to connect to their pain. So mostly listening. <clears throat> Really? I mean, it looks a lot like to listening. Sim to simplify it all down, Ashlyn, that's a great word. I mean, Listen. It, if you imagine, if you're the friend, the sibling, or the parent of someone who's struggling with addiction, imagine that they're in a hospital bed, and they're in a coma, and they can't communicate with you, but your being there and being by their side and not wavering um, is, the, is the only thing you can do, and you can leave the, the healing to the professionals, to the doctors and the nurses to care for their physical well-being, but you can just be an emotional support for them while they are there. That's really the equivalent of what is what is ideal for the person who's struggling with either betrayal or addiction is they just simply need you to be by their side and to not try to fix it, but just know that, that, that your support is unwavering. And I also want to just say this too. If you have a partner, sorry, if you have a kid, a, a sibling, or whatever who is struggling with addiction, they're looking at porn or whatever the case is, is not a reflection of the kind of sibling that you were or the kind of parent that you were. That's their choice individually and it's not a reflection on that. So if you can disassociate yourself from that thought that, oh man, I'm not taking personally. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
then what that can do is facilitate connection to you and, and, your, and your child or your sibling so that it becomes about what their issue is rather than the inadequacies or, or the shortcomings that you feel like you're responsible for or yeah. that you feel you have. Yeah. That's, that's a super important part of this. So, Brandon, can you give us what is sex addiction? What does it look like? Yeah. So, so if, you, if you go and listen to, I think it's our first episode ever, um, you can get a much more in-depth um, understanding of what sex addiction is. But for, I think for a family member who's listening to this right now, what would be helpful to know is that sex addiction is an attachment disorder. Um, sex addiction is when somebody has so much shame... Um, that they they can't connect to people in a healthy way. They can't attach, and they, they can't develop um, bonds. They don't attach in a way. Through, through the normal way of trust and vulnerability, um, intimacy, honesty, and, and and the sex addiction. What happens is somebody gets their connection in a fake way, in an unhealthy way. So they keep going back to this thing, masturbation, pornography, affairs, acting out with people, whatever it is, to get this need met for connection. But what happens is it's this perpetual cycle of shame because then they feel like, well, now I'm disgusting, I'm perverted, I'm wrong, nobody will love me as I am. So therefore, I I need to kind of hide who I am. I don't want to let, I don't want to let people in too close. And you know, as a loved one, if you're listening to me say this, you might be thinking, yeah, like it's been really, really hard to be su- a support to them because they've been so distant and they've, they just haven't, it's just been so hard to break through their walls. Um, sex addicts oftentimes will show up really small, um, play, play small because they don't want to be vulnerable in life. They believe they're failures. They believe they're not okay. <clears throat> um, Meaning they won't show their cards. They, they keep their cards close to their chest and so they're not going to be open up and, and share things or share struggles or anything like that because they want to believe want, want to give the appearance to everybody else around them that, that they're, they're good to they're go. They're okay. They don't want to fail. Yeah. Um, that was totally me, by the way. And, yeah. That was totally me. <laughs> the other thing that, that you'll see is erratic, um, compulsive, um, volatile behavior and emotions because they're not coping with their emotions in a, in a healthy way. They're not going through them. They're not feeling them. They're using something to numb out and avoid feeling. And so you'll see some pretty crazy behaviors that will disconnect. So, so a lot of anger or a lot of sadness, depression. Isolation. Um, isolation. But those, uh, but those emotions really spike high and low. Um, and, and you'll just feel that depression from dep- – depression goes with sex addiction. It was um, totally my experience. Like, like stressful times – like just just to be super clear, my consumption of porn was commensurate with my levels of stress that I experienced in my life from various ways. It might have been stress from academics, stress from uh, you know dating, uh, stress from friends, stress from sports. Work. I, th- <laughs> I think that's important for a family member to understand is is the sex addict is using the sex um, to uh, as a coping mechanism. Yeah. But they're, they're actually using it not to cope. Um, but as they use it as a coping mechanism, the rate and duration of its use increases over time, sometimes fast, sometimes slow. And that sex addict finds themselves doing things that they normally wouldn't do in their life, but they're doing it anyways because they're, they're just pushing a further limit to get that rush, to get that escape. And, um, 
and and then the the disease progresses on from there. And and moreover, the disease progresses in a, in, a, in a very specific biological way, in the sense that what what um, I began to do, even as a young kid, was in my head when I was stressed, or I was uncomfortable, and I didn't realize I was uncomfortable or stressed. Right when I felt discomfort of any kind, then my mind, as a young kid, even seven, eight, nine, ten years old, would go to images that I've seen or or replay in my head the experience of going to you know, the neighbors and, to and finding porn. Exactly. And that was, I mean, I grew up in, I'm, I'm 41. I grew up in the eighties, right? Yeah. I was born in 77. And so magazines were the only access that I had. And so I would begin to obsess about those things or obsess might sound a little bit intense, but I would be fixated uh-huh. on those experiences and having access to those because I was feeling discomfort of, of really any kind. And so what happens is, is in my head, the thought was, I'm, dis- I'm, I'm in discomfort or I'm uncomfortable. This is how I deal with right. this discomfort. And I wouldn't label it that. But it's like if I had to do, for instance, as a kid, like in fourth grade, if I had to do like long division, <laughs> we actually talked about this the other night, um, and I, was, I, I couldn't do it, I was so stressed, then my mind would go to thinking about what I saw. Like lusting. To escape to- the, the, the stress from doing long division right. as a 10 year old. Right. And I think it's important to show that sex addiction is can be so different, right? There's so many different levels. Yes, that's important. And so what you may think There's a sliding in your scale. head, yeah, of yeah. this is sex addiction. And, and I think the biggest reason Kobe and I didn't look at his issues with um, the consumption of porn and masturbation and his non-boundaried relationships with women we didn't look at it as, a, as, as an addiction because it wasn't every day. Right. And so I'm, in my head, addiction is something that is like ruining your life on a daily basis. Yeah, right. But it was ruining our life. Right. That's, in, you know, you know? He, he wasn't out sleeping with m- multiple prostitutes all the time. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't staying out late every night, going to, you know, the bar, picking up women. That, that wasn't me, but mine was, no matter if it's me, if, if that's what I'm doing, or if it's or if it's it's on a daily basis, addiction lives in a, a cycle. Yeah, and uh, mine was every couple of months, and it just persisted over the course of our fourteen and a half years, and got worse. Or like you said, it's a sliding scale. Yeah, and mine got worse and worse over time, and um, that's just it, there's a cycle with every addict in their consumption. I think it, for for family members, one thing that's hard to to understand is. You know, if you've been in a relationship with an addict, that addict has probably done some things that have, it's been hard to be in a relationship with them. Um, But, you know, treating this for for as long as I have, I've never met a sex addict who's not a good person and um, just just a wonderful uh, man. And, and, um, but the thing about him is he's caught up and he's stuck in so much shame and so much pain and if you can if you can see their addiction as that and you don't see it as you know they've done all these things they've disconnected from you and you take that personally then you can you can you can be a better support um i know that's easy for me to say yeah. and that's that's hard to grasp um but really all this craziness um they've been trying to figure out how to find God and get love in their life. That's what they've been trying to do. Find some validation. I I think of, because we've both had um, 
family members who've had drug addictions. And Mm -hmm. so we've lived with both sides, you know, and it is hard to not take it personal and say, well, you're disconnecting from me. Then like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm not going to help you. Um, but the one thing that you're talking about is that shame and how it, the self-worth is just so low. Right. Mm -hmm. I honestly did not expect that when I knew mine was, I knew I had tons of shame and that I had very low self-worth and confidence because of the things Kobe had chosen to do. So when he showed up saying, hey, me too, like, wait, what? What? But it makes sense. Right. He was he was a good faker. He was a good poser. Totally. Like, hey, I'm Mr. I, I got it like, all figured out, right? And he would deflect everything. So it was like he was on top of the world. He was successful. He had all these friends. Mm-hmm. Everyone loved him. And people thought I was a beast because right. I, was, I was showing up in in front of people, sometimes in my betrayal trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that leads to the next thing, which let's talk about betrayal trauma because sex addicts are misunderstood, but wives of sex addicts are very partners of partners of sex addicts are very often misunderstood by family. Um, you know, family sees the disconnect family sees the, the anger, um, family sees the, the, Hey, we might get divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think what's wrong with her? How come she's acting that way? How come she's so crazy, so mean, crazy, awful, um, sad. Like, why doesn't she just get better? You know, why and doesn't she just get over it? Why doesn't she just forgive and forget and move on? And honestly, I thought those <laughs> things about myself. You're already in that. Right? I already was in my head <clears throat> thinking, what is wrong with me? I would leave a room after being so angry or so mean and name calling and bringing up the past, leave the room and go, what did I just do? Who right. am I? So let's shed a little light on some of that behavior. Um, the, just, just so you understand, our, our, our greatest fear as human beings is disconnection. We, that's what shame is, is we're afraid that we're not good enough and people won't attach to us. And so when somebody gets betrayed, they experience trauma on many different levels. And you think, well, it's just, oh, he cheated on me, and ouch, that hurt when he did that thing. It's much more complex than that. Yeah. Um, it, it makes you question who you are as a woman. It makes you question your reality. You, you feel like, why didn't I trust myself? How come I didn't know my, trust my gut and my intuition? Um, it makes you question your stability in life. Uh, are we going to stay married? Will I have money? Will, will I be safe and stable? So it rocks you on so many different levels. Then all of a sudden you're supposed to show up at a family party for Thanksgiving and have a smile on your face. Yeah, you got your mask on. Yeah. And then your husband, you know, might do this or that. And you're all of a sudden experiencing these trauma triggers. And you know they're crazy. You're not based in reality, but you're still feeling it. And 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 that's okay that you're feeling that. So for a family member, it would be helpful if you backed off a little bit and allowed her to feel what she's feeling and let her know that, look, it's okay that you're feeling fear. It's okay that you're feeling pain. Um, I'm here for you, and if you want to talk about it, I'm here to listen. I like that. Um, Just some context on this, too. Um, For those of you who have um, kids or siblings or friends who are the betrayed, 
the there is this um, I don't know the 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 addict from 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 my perspective. I didn't realize um, the depth of my um, the depth of the pain that I was causing my partner Ashlyn. I didn't understand, nor did I want to understand, and I tried hard to avoid understanding um, what the cost was. And I, w- I became, in order to save myself from really facing the, the reality of those things, which was really hard, then I began to blame Ashlyn and began to heap on her the, um, I guess, the, the responsibility of my looking at porn. And what's important that, that you understand is, is when I'm in that place, when I was in that place of blaming, I was totally hijacked in, in shame, which means I was in a place going like, oh my gosh, like I'm so horrible that I can't, um, like she's never gonna forgive me and I've, and I've crossed a line yet again. And I have to um, save face. So the way I'm gonna do that is by blaming this on my partner. Yeah, make me look bad. Totally. And and that's not right. And I take full responsibility but, for the years that I did that, but that was just addict but preservation. But I think family mode. members don't see that. Yeah. And, and so they don't understand the depth of that. Kofi's dead. And, well, well, but they, they don't they don't get They don't see me. The the how much blaming. she's been manipulated. Yes. How much she's been gaslighted. How much she's like wondered whether her reality is reality because the addiction has been wanting her to do that to enable the addiction to yeah. keep it going and going. Um, and so it, there, there's a reason why a partner of an addict feels crazy. And um, they're not just a, a partner of an addict isn't just mean and shut down. And they're confused and they've been traumatized. So, yeah. And it shows up in so many different ways. I mean, I don't even know the symptoms of betrayal trauma, but it shows up in your health in your mental health, physical health, um, in the, in your attitudes, all these things. So, um, it's been different for all of us, I would say, but yet when we get together as women in these support groups, much of our feelings are the same. Yeah. And so we may have different symptoms, but we show up hurting. And so I think one thing is when people hear, uh, my husband just looks at porn and we start comparing pain and our story or my husband just had an emotional affair, not a physical one. Like you shouldn't hurt so bad. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, yeah, you or shouldn't hurt least, so bad. At least it wasn't a physical affair or at least they didn't fall in love. So what you're saying, Ashlyn, is it really, it's really not helpful to minimize the pain. No, <laughs> no. For the, the addict and betrayed. It, it's, but it, the family. it's invalidating. Yeah. Like, well, at least it was only this or, you know, it was like, why don't you get over it? It's only that. Or and I was told that um, with the first uh, emotional affair, and I didn't know what an emotional affair was, but Kobe had connected with someone else and commiserated about our marriage, and there was this attraction between them. And it was a secret relationship I didn't know about. When I found out about it, uh, I was told, you know what, you need to just forgive and move on. And so I thought I had, I'm, okay, I'm going to just do that. I'm going to pray my feelings away. But I didn't get any help. I didn't right. know what I was feeling. And so I, years later, I'm thinking, why am I so mad at him? Why do I despise him? Why do I, all these crazy feelings? And that's why. And I then, never dealt with it. And then when that was brought up, and it periodically would, I would totally manipulate you, Ashlyn, right. and say, Dude, we were told to move on from this. You're stuck on that. That's not fair. Like I'm moving on. You need to move on too. So I didn't. I didn't validate in any way 
like you just said, Brandon, the pain that you felt. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to go there because that means that I would have to take responsibility for my actions. Right. And I wanted to do nothing um, if, like that. If you're a good support person, then you will not jump in the middle of the blame game when it comes to sex addiction and betrayal trauma. The sex addict can make their wife out to look like a monster. Totally. And, 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 and even get to the point of saying, well, if she weren't so mean or if she were more available to have sex or if she were this, then, then, then I wouldn't ha- have had to go do this thing. Right. right, mom and dad? See how mean she is? And mom and da- dad say, yeah, Yeah, son, that makes like, sense. <laughs> yeah, she's horrible. She's terrible. And vice versa. A, a good support family member does not jump in the blame game. They, they listen. They hear your pain. They understand why you're feeling what you're feeling but they don't fuel and feed your victim stance. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I want people to understand who are listening and maybe don't understand what this is. Um, think of yourself when you're physically having all these problems and you go to doctors and you don't know what the diagnosis is. And when you finally have a solution, that's what it was for us. When we finally were told, hey, there's this thing called betrayal trauma and you have it. Hey, there's this thing called sex addiction. And you've got it. it like and guess what that's not just it you're not going to label yourself now you now can get help because there's specialized help right. and you can so, get healthy you can move forward yeah for me it was very validating to say okay now we can do something absolutely all the years of of being mean and wondering how why i was mean to kobe or why i felt so hurt was now legit a thing right and that was that was a big turning point for us so so ashton what's helpful is like if I were your family member, it'd be helpful for me to say, oh my gosh, tell me what you've gone through. Um, that sounds really hard. I can hear your pain. I feel it. And once I've done that and I sit there in that space with you for a while, and let's say you go to, Kobe sucks. I hate him. I Right? This whatever you say. Yeah, right? you have a bad day. <laughs> right? Then I can say, I totally see why you feel that way. Yeah. That makes sense. What's not helpful is in that moment if I say, yeah, he does. Are you going to leave him? So, <laughs> I got those a lot. So Because you yeah. just said what was validating is, is when you understood what you had and, and how you could move forward to get over that, right? right. It is validating for me to, to say, yeah, he's horrible. Because then you're like, yeah, you see my feelings. You get it. But if I, keep, if I keep fueling that, if I keep telling you how horrible he is, then I'm actually just keeping you stuck right yeah. there. Right. Yeah. I so. think what's important to note too about betrayal trauma is that it has the it has parallel symptoms to post traumatic stress disorder. Yes. And um, just like a war veteran who is home and on the Fourth of July hears fireworks and all of a sudden their their time they, they time travel back to combat and traumatic experiences that they felt. So their their body's there, but their mind's totally not you're there. You're dealing with somebody in their emotional mind, in their limbic system, their midbrain. That, that, that they're not rational at times and it's totally normal and a, a, a response that's there to protect them to not be rational at times. I know that sounds crazy and out there, but because they've experienced this trauma, this betrayal trauma, they might go to a family party and act like a total crazy person, but for good reason they're acting that way, right? Because they're in trauma. Yeah. Anger, um, rage, depression, sadness, anxiety, um, overeating, undereating, lack of sleep, sleeping too much, all those things. Yeah, Brandon, it shows up not? in so many ways. Yeah. Be um, of. Okay, so we know what it is. We figured it out. 
somebody sent you this podcast. So now what? How do I show up? Um, we talked about listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when we told our families, I remember what everyone did, how they showed up. Mm-hmm. I can see it. I can feel it. And honestly, it was just the thank you for sharing something so personal, something mm-hmm. that is so like you said, shame-filled for Mm -hmm. most humans. We don't talk about those things. Um, And then a hug. Um, What I loved, and this kind of was more on Kobe and I responsibility, is we said, feel free to talk to us about this. Check on us. See how we're doing. Um, So we learned that if we just said, we told them this big thing, and then we all leave and go our merry way, they don't know what to say. Right. Like they want to know how you're, we're doing, but they're also like, I don't know how to bring this thing up because it's super awkward. And so we kind of took that off of them of saying, hey, you're welcome to ask us how Ashlyn's doing, how Kobe's doing. You made that easy for yeah. them. That was really good because a lot of times that won't happen that way. Where it's, it's like, let's tell you what's really going on in our marriage. And see ya. <laughs> and then, yeah, that was awkward and weird. Let's never talk about it ever again. So if they don't tell you what they, that you're welcome to ask, you can come back as the family or friend and say, tell me how I can be there for you. Yes. Right? That's great. So what, either way. What do you want me to do? How can I best support you? How can you? I show up? Yeah. Um, That's really great. I think of my friend who I actually wasn't very close to at all. Uh, but when Disclosure Day came for me, which is Kobe telling me about his second affair, I remember I texted her. I couldn't call because I was crying. And I just said, I don't even remember what I said. But I was in this like panic mode, right? Of, like my world just crumbled. And I remember her saying, can I come? Can I come and just be with you? Let me take you. Let me go. Let me. And I was like, no, no, I'm okay. Like I don't. I don't even know what I would say to you. I just, I'm okay. She came anyway. Mm -hmm. She drove 30 minutes and she came anyway. So she was connected to you. She was reading the situation. And all she did, she texted me and said, I'm in your driveway, come outside. Mm -hmm. So I left and I said, Kobe, I'm going. We went and sat in her car for hours and I just cried and talked. She didn't try to fix it. She didn't want to ask. She didn't say, tell me more. She really just listened. And I know that's why we have a close relationship Mm -hmm. is because she showed up for me. That's an awesome story. And that's a real friend right there. Her name is Tiffany Danzi. (laughs) She's awesome. Um, Okay. So, so listening and holding space and and giving your energy and your time and saying, look, I want to be here. Mm -hmm. Maybe I won't do the the exact right things for you right now, but I'm here and I care. Um, There's, there's with, with, Addicts, oftentimes parents are, are taught tough love. And um, I just want to talk about that for a second, of whether that's helpful or not. It's important for family members to have healthy boundaries and to model those healthy boundaries. Um, with What's your guys' understanding of tough love? Tough love is... Um you need to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need to take responsibility for this. You need to work your way out of this. And, um, you know what, let me know when you're there. Um, love you no then, matter yeah. what. No, no, no. It's, it's like, no, oh, how, not love how, you how no I define what. it. Tough love is like, you know what? I'm going to disconnect from you, uh, until I know that you're in a good place. Tough love is heavy on the boundary side of things. And it's, it's, uh, I'm not going to enable you at all. I'm not going to make you comfortable so you can continue on with your addiction. 
I'm going to avoid making you comfortable so that you can face the harsh reality of what's happening in your life so that you can get motivated to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's important that you're boundaried and it's important that you're honest with them, right? You're giving support, but you're also honest with them and you don't want to enable, um, the undesired behavior, the undesired behavior, but it's tough love. There's still the love part to it, which is look. here's my boundaries. And it's not tough. Be a jerk, you know, (laughs) like here, let me just tell you why you suck and why I will, will not help or support you in any way. It's here's my boundaries and I love you so much. I care. Um, I see you as a, as a person with value and I want to support you. That's awesome. Right. That's super awesome. Yeah. And, and I would say the last thing on this too, on that note of, of, of loving them, loving them in a boundary and tough way is, um, is remember this too. This is for everybody who's listening. I was until I was really, I don't know, probably about two years ago, I was really an emotional seven year old when it came to dealing with hard things in life because I ran from them. And so my emotional development legit stopped as soon as I started uh, learning to use porn to deal with hard things in life. And that meant that not only did I have to stop thinking in that particular um, neural pathway in that particular way, but I also had to acquire skills to learn to deploy. So it wasn't just a matter about not doing something that I didn't want to do, but it was learning how to, in a healthy way, deal with life. And, and, and so this is, this is um, you're dealing with somebody who has um, really been emotionally stunted in very specific ways and who is really gonna have to work super hard to um, take responsibility, to, um, to be really focused and uh, to get the right kind of help. And I would say this too, there's a, for those who are family members or friends of the betrayed or the addicted, we spent a lot of time with general therapists and spun our wheels the best the best way um, to help them to get help just so you know is they need to see uh, a certified like brandon a certified sex addiction therapist and someone who also specializes in treating betrayal trauma that's the best chance for success and that doesn't mean that everybody who has that those credentials is actually going to be like from a relationship standpoint the the right fit for your friend you know, sibling. And, and ultimately, I mean, if it's child. your if it's your child, it, this is different. But ultimately, that's not uh, on you or up to you, where they go for help. And if if they're listening to our podcast and getting good information, then they're probably a few steps ahead mm-hmm. of of you as a loved one um, as to what's helpful in terms of of therapy. Um, but don't don't insert yourself too much and, and be too nosy about everything that they're doing with their help. Back off and trust them. Uh, it's different if it's your child, right? Mm-hmm. But back off and trust them and let them go through their own process of healing. So. Okay, so I know that there's some listeners, like you said, who are steps ahead and they're amazing people. I know that some of them are paying for other people's recovery because so many people cannot pay and afford to go to therapy. Uh-huh. So would you say that's a way to show up as a friend or you know, a family member? I, I wanna help you. They have the resources and tools, but one month they're having a hard I w- time I and would, struggling. I would not pay for someone's recovery if they're not internally motivated. Totally. But if they're already doing, if they're already internally motivated, then I'll I'll shell it out all day long. I would pay for any family member's therapy, Um, if they're if they're working toward getting healthy themselves. 
why I say it that way is I see it a lot of times where mom or dad or spouse wants it worse than the, than the person totally who's struggling. And so they pay for it all and they want it to get fixed and they're just wasting their money. So don't waste your money on somebody who's not internally motivated, but, but by all means support them if they are for sure. Anytime you invest in yourself, you're a lot more committed, right? Yes. When you got skin in the game, yeah. you're, you're invested. You're going to take it more seriously. Okay. Yeah. Um, one way you can also show up as a friend or family is by offering to babysit. Hey, they need to go to group, yeah. something like that. If, hey, you need to take a nap. You need to yeah. have some self-care. Just basic support. Let's go out as girlfriends. Let's go out as, you know, that's yeah. part of recovery is having joy in your life. Go have fun with them. That's yeah. that's also for the that's addict because awesome. a lot of times the addict is horrible at taking having a hobby, taking care of themselves. You know what I mean? So having time to uh, spend to, to fill their cup and to find renewal, super, super important. That can come in, in various ways. Yep. And um, I, I would say the last thing on this is keep in mind that um, if you let go of the idea of, of your of your addicted friend, you know, sibling, child needs to be perfect, if, the more you can let go of that idea and embrace the idea that they just need to make progress, the easier it's going to be to, um, for you to be a support for them if you let go of the idea that they need to be perfect in order to get over this because that's just simply not how it's going to be. Yeah. But if, if you see that they're making progress and you focus on that and see how they're progressing across the board in many different ways, then um, it'll be easy for you to yeah. support them in the way they need. Okay. Thanks for being here. Honestly, um, if you've heard this and you've seen value in it, you know, we'd love you to share this uh, with people. You can share this in a text message. You can share this in an email. You can share this over uh, a direct message or over a Facebook message. And the idea with this is, is really giving a peek behind the curtain for, um, for loved ones who have, you know, people who struggle with betrayal or struggle with uh, you know, another thing too is um, on our Patreon. So we have a we have a site we have a community where people can interact with us, ask questions, um, get extra content. If you're a loved one um, and you want to ask us some questions, that's a great place to go. Totally. Um, you could sign up. You know, you can sign up for ten bucks a month. You can cancel it wh- whenever you want. So you could sign up, you can hop on there, ask us some questions. We'd love to get questions from family members. That would be awesome. For sure. If you scroll down in this uh, in the podcast app and click on episode notes, you'll see the first link there is the link to our Patreon site. Awesome. And hey, I just want to give a shout out. If you've listened this long, it's one of our longer podcasts. Totally. Um, pat on the back because yeah. that means you're showing up. So thank totally. you. Totally. Big deal. Thanks for being here, guys. All right. See you guys.